you know, I hate to use the example of a, you know, a factory going robots and, and letting go of their employees, but you know, there is some crossover to that, right? You're, you're not saying you should go fire all your employees and automate them with software, but if there's just remedial tasks that are automated and rather than hiring 200 people to do it, you can build software and just have that software run every minute and do the same thing. I mean, it would be a no brainer to any business owner. The big question is, how can you fix and transform your organization's most important foundation, your software, into an asset which allows you to become better every single day? Each department is at its best when it can smoothly, efficiently, and productively operate. And to do that, you need to pay attention to the lifeblood of your organization, your software. The custom software creation geniuses at Architect Now are presenting this podcast as a way to help leaders think more strategically about their software and to roadmap what needs to happen in order to be at the top of their game. No, this podcast is not going to scramble your brain by talking about DevOps or API calls. Our goal on this show is to make you better by giving you the high-level insights that you need so you can better make decisions that will not only be cost-effective, but will help your team on an intangible level as well as a technical one. Welcome to Newsflash, your software company. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Newsflash, your software company. I'm your host, Corey Durkin, and along with me for the ride are Don Jacobs-Meyer, Alex Will, and Kevin Grossnaklaus of Architect Now. Gentlemen, we're going to talk today about the common misconceptions that people have when it comes to building apps or building custom software. I actually had a conversation with a friend last week who came to me and said, I have this idea for an app to do this and this and this. How much would it cost? And I said, well, John, uh, I have no idea what that would cost. Uh, I told him, I said, it's kind of like you know, ask going to a home builder and asking the home builder, uh, hey, how much is my new house going to cost? I have this plot of land. And the home builder says, well, do you want a Cape style house? Do you want a raised ranch? Do you want a McMansion? Do you want it built out of stone? There's so many different, you know, permutations of what a build can look like. And that's no different in the app world. So Kevin, I must imagine just to start off that um, uh, you probably get similar versions of this question all the time, right? We, I do. I'm sure we all do. If you're in this industry, whether it's, you know, business related, related to what we do, you know, in our day jobs, or just our social network, our friends, our family, uh, we get random emails from people on me, uh, coffee shops, people say, oh, you build apps? Well, I got an idea for an app. You know, here's my idea. And, you know, the, the, you know, I, you know, in that brief conversation, I can immediately in the back of my mind say, you're talking about spending millions and millions of dollars to build that, right? Everyone uses so many apps. They have them on their phone. They have them on their iPads. They're, they're familiar with them, but what they lack familiarity with is what the investment or what the cost to build those types of apps might've been. You know, you don't pay anything to use Instagram, but the Instagram, you know, the investment they've made in building that is massive and maintaining that, selling that. And sometimes I do randomly hear app ideas that are actually reasonable and doable and, and could be done for lack of a better term on the cheap or for a price tag that somebody might not, you know, make their head explode if I told them what it would cost. But it is very common. Lots of people have app ideas. Lots of people share them. And what they lack is, you know, any and, and I would be the same way in the housing example you gave or, you know, other things. I wouldn't be able to tell someone that. I know what my house costs and I, I could look at someone else's house and think it's roughly the same size. So. You know, it might cost about the same amount, uh, but with an app, it, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes and the investment that unless you do it often, it, it is a little bit of a, a gray area on 
pricing what your investment might be. And when you have that gray area, Don, what do you think people are mostly misconceiving of when, when they are trying to figure out how this app could come to life? What, what part of the process are they just completely in the gray on? Is it what it takes in terms of development hours? Is it the complexity of what they're asking? Is it, um, you know, like, what, why are they, why is the general public kind of sometimes a, a little bit blind to what goes into creating the total price of an app or a piece of software? I would say there's two things that most people are, that just are lost on them. Uh, one is, like you said, the complexity. Um, you know, most people kind of know, like, okay, if it's only going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to dumb it down, but let's just say most people know if it's only a couple screens that maybe it's not so crazy, but if it's tons and tons of workflows and it's an all encompassing tool that, you know, yeah, it's going to be, you know, more intensive. Um, if people don't understand how data structures work, you know, that, that can be an area of sort of uh, complexity that they don't fully understand. The other category I'd say that people don't necessarily consider is the ongoing um, cost or lack of cost, depending on how you create it. But it's not like a you just create this thing and once you deploy it, you never need to touch it again. And we've talked about this, you know, in the past a bit. Um, but there is some kind of ongoing let's make sure things stay up to date. Let's make sure things stay secure. Let's make sure we aren't, um, you know, spending more money on various processes or, you know, cloud compute than we need to. Um, and as you scale and as the application grows, you know, there's different approaches or questions that go into that. And when that application grows, um, and you're thinking about sort of that ongoing cost of, of maintenance, what are the misconceptions around the maintaining of an app? Like when you're looking at that sort of roadmap, what just because you have the software or the app doesn't mean it's done, right? There's bugs, there's fixes, there's tweaks you need to make. So what do people look like and kind of, how, how do they not see that? Like, what does that look like in their minds versus what's actually a reality? It's not necessarily things you directly consider as expenses, but it's um, the time cost, perhaps. It's the focus cost. It's the opportunity cost that you have to have, whether it's you know internal to your organization or not, you, know, you have to have a team of developers who are familiar with this code base, who are monitoring it who know what version it's on, who know when there's a security vulnerability that they're um, working to make sure that A, it's either mitigated out of the gate or it's you know patched or resolved or whatever that may be. So it's really more the operational cost of someone has to be watching and, and taking care of this, you know, like um, anything that is an asset that you really grow that is meant to endure you know, longevity, you know, in real estate, you don't just buy property and, you know, checks magically come in, right? Like 
you have to make sure there's a landscaping crew and the snow gets plowed in the parking lots and the roof gets replaced, you know, every 20 years or, you know, whatever it may be, right? So it's still having all of those intangibles that, yes, it costs money, but it's really more knowing what needs to happen. Sure. And I think that the knowing what needs to happen also plays into the beginning of the process, um, which is the ROI. So Alex, talk to me a little bit about that ROI. You know, when you're thinking about conceiving of the price of the app, the price of the development, the price of the ongoing, you know, maintenance of the software. Um, tell me a little bit about that return on investment in terms of what people are solving for, which kind of dictates the value to them. Yeah. So with the ROI, one of the hardest things software is going to be the upfront investment of, of creating this, right? If it's totally custom and you can't find something off the shelf, it's a subscription model. But if you have to go through and create a whole brand new app from the beginning, you're going to have that large upfront you know, capital investment of, of this app. Um, one other way that people might do this is this could be a manual task. Is it filling out a form, data entry, like that? So their investment could be of, of a person, right? That they pay hourly and it's not as large as an upfront investment and they do it. Well, the difference between how that works between leveraging a person versus leveraging software is when you scale past what that one person can do, you're going to have higher onboarding costs of adding a new person. You're going to teach them. If you have churn, you have to hire a new person, teach them. And it could be cheaper at first, but after a while at scale, it is not because for you to add 10 more processes to a system of the same thing on code, you don't have to ask someone else to do it. It just does it. You just add it to the system. The incremental cost of adding more stuff to a computer is going to be a lot cheaper than trying to leverage more people. And Kevin, do you think that people who are thinking about building an app or software, are they confused about what that looks like in terms of adding features versus adding people to the, the, to the development team? Like, are they... Uh, is that just something that's hard for them to understand? Because unless you know how a home is built, you don't really know how, you know, the drywall gets put up. And if you're not an app builder, you don't really know how that backend process works. I mean, yeah, if, if anybody that, that writes their own software is doing so either to sell it to others and make money or to automate a process or make their lives easier in some way. And, and usually typically there's a correlation between that making your life easier and saving money. Right. Uh, less errors, you know, less, you know, I hate to use the example of a, you know, a factory going robots and, and letting go of their employees, but, you know, there is some crossover to that, right? You're, you're not saying you should go fire all your employees and automate the software, but if there's just remedial tasks that are automated and rather than hiring 200 people to do it, you can build software and just have that software run every minute and do the same thing. I mean, it would be a no brainer to any business owner and those people probably don't want to be doing that task anyway. So there's cost savings and there's, you know, lots of value to a business that they could say, you know, we're, we're better at what we do. We can do more of it. We make more money. Right. So somebody is, is benefiting from that all the way up. Uh, what, and I think that the point we've brought up a few times already is some people just don't realize that the, the cost of writing that software might be so low or it, the cost of doing that manual process over the course of a year might be a hundred times more than what this, the software would cost. Right. You may not know there, there might be tools that, are 80% close enough to automate that and, and somebody can come in and customize it and get you that extra 20%. So um, unless you're 
in that world, and, and again, we've used homes and factories and lots of different, you know, anecdotes of similar type things, but for people that build apps anymore, that it's more of an integration exercise than it is start from scratch. You might find something that's close enough and, and just, you know, hire a carpenter to come in and you, you're going to go buy a house that has everything you like except an unfinished basement. So great, just, you know, buy the house, you know, come in and finish the basement. You can always do that after the fact. Similar to software, buy, buy a tool that is close, come in and, and customize that final 20% or whatever, you know, it is. But it is true. I mean, somebody might come to me with an app idea and, and I might look at it and think, man, I could knock that out in a week. That, that's actually a pretty good idea. And I'm, I also have my business hat on. I'm like, wow, I think you could really sell that and you could make money and your investment to build it would be relatively cheap. This is a great idea. I mean, boom, light bulb goes off on everyone and, and they love it. Other people come in with an idea and I think, man, there are 10 other apps that do this or this is, you know, you'd never be able to sell it. Why would anyone pay money for that? So my business hat is also kind of maybe, you know, for lack of a better term, poking holes in their idea. But then I'm like, and also it would cost you, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to write this, you know, thing. So there's very little money to be made and it would be a high investment to do it. So you typically app ideas or your software, custom software falls somewhere in the middle of those two extremes, right? That you really have to come in and measure what, what is the value versus the investment. Don brought up a good point earlier that when you write software, there are going to be ongoing costs, uh, maintenance, just keeping it up to date, uh, adding things that you might not have thought of in the beginning, fixing a bug that might not have been caught in the beginning. There's also ongoing to certain types of software. There's just kind of like when you buy, build a house, you're, you just know you're going to have to pay taxes, right? It, it just comes with owning an asset. Uh, same with software, certain software, if it's a big website or it's in the cloud, you're going to have month to month expenses based on the number of your users. You're paying for consuming processing power somewhere database storage, all of these things cost them money if you you host them in, in kind of a modern cloud infrastructure. So just building it, you, you don't just go from, I spent all this money over the six months and my software is done. And now it's just the, the company that helped me or my team, if I employed them directly, they go work on other stuff. And this software is now 100% paid for. It's never 100% paid for. You have technical debt that you have to maintain and keep up. You have to pay for the servers and the, the processing power to run it. You know, where it lives, somebody has to monitor it and make sure that it's scalable. If you're selling something, say there's big seasons like the holiday season, you might need to pay more during the holiday season for more of that. Somebody has to secure it from viruses and make sure that it's not, you know, hacked and compromised. Lots of different things play into that. And those things all cost money. Uh, depending on your needs, you can get by with, you know, kind of scrimping on some of those things, but you know, most companies, you know, the things they scrimp on are the things that come back to bite them like security. And then they lose all their data or they, you know, there's ransomware situations, things like that. But it is there, you never are done with software. I mean, I think the title of this podcast says it all. Now you're a software company. The minute you write it, you're a software company. And you, you, that software costs money. It could cost hundreds of dollars a month. It could cost thousands of dollars a month. It could cost hundreds of thousands. We've got customers that just one database might be, $20,000 a month just to hold the amount of data that, that they have. And they, they know that, and that's a, a expense that they plan for and budget for, but the, the value of their software is as such to them and their customers that that makes sense. Right? Other people might, the guy sitting next to me at a bar saying, I got an app idea and here it is, might not anticipate that his app idea ultimately might cost, you know, $15,000 database every month. So unless you know you're going to make more than that and it makes sense, then that's where the dial your idea might not be financially feasible in the end. So speaking of that 
idea of, of, you know, you having the conversation with a potential client and they're describing something that yes, technically would be more efficient from an automation software standpoint, but it doesn't outweigh the cost of building it relative to the human capital that they have. Do, do any of the three of you have an example of that kind of thought matrix that comes to mind around that conversation? Yeah, I mean, yeah. some of the ones... Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, some of the ones we do with a lot of our apps, especially with like getting an app out there for like an MVP, most viable product. Um, there might be some tasks that happen like once a year, right? But for us to have that be done in, in the software could cost, you know, you know, 30K, it has a bunch of screens, all these type of things. But happening once a year to where we can have a manual process, we run some kind of, you know, up, here's a table, update it, we upload it, done. It's a 10-minute process. So there's stuff that's only happening at a very small time frame, very infrequently, that we're not going to build out and maintain the code and everything around it and the software around it. This does not justify the cost. And how do you break that to a client? We, we, we talk a lot of clients out of software. Uh, it's very common. I mean, and, and, you know, we tell them this just doesn't, you know, based on all of our discussions to this point, this doesn't seem like the value would be there to you. It's better for us just to set up an Outlook reminder to remind you on December 1st, you got to do this task before the 15th. Right. And then somebody yeah. just opens a spreadsheet and types in some numbers and saves it. And then, you know, that's all you need done once a year, you know, maintaining all of this infrastructure to do it doesn't seem to, to have the value or, I mean, there's a lot of people that come to us that we sit down and hear their idea. And it's not that just a bad idea, but it could, it, sometimes it does come down to this, you're automating a process that doesn't need to be automated. Just keep doing this manually. Uh, it doesn't cost you much. You already employ these people. You know, the, the, the dial just doesn't seem to point where this makes sense. Other times we hear somebody that might not even consider software. We just say, you know, what's the biggest pain point in your business? And they're like, oh man, the thing that really frustrates us is our whole accounting department over here is, you know, shut down for three months while they go do this thing and everyone gets sucked into it. And then it puts us behind and we're like, well, how can we help you fix that? Right? Because then that seems like there's pain and maybe software could help you over there. So it, it's kind of a catch 22. So Absolutely. To, to extend on that a little bit further, I think, Alex and Kevin kind of brought up maybe two different examples and I want to kind of like create some glue between them. So Alex talked about an MVP solution, perhaps and a minimum viable, you know, product where it may actually be sort of a new business venture of sorts where we're going to try to monetize some, you know, process, let's say that has a different mental matrix than the sort of internal line of business cost center approach where if the cost center isn't big enough, it doesn't make sense to invest to handle it in a more efficient way. So that's typically how we sort of explore that. You know, sometimes companies will come to us with, you know, they have a small department that does some very, very specific sort of borderline regulated workflow that, yeah, maybe it only serves four to six users, but it it facilitates, you know, millions of dollars of sort of just money management and documentation and compliance around something really important to them. So the the justification is real, even though you know there's only six people that will ever touch this. Um, as well as from a succession planning perspective, 
what happens when these people who have maybe been with this organization for 30 years leave and someone else new has to come on and be you know taught and onboarded so those are justifications where it does make sense but like to what alex said if, if all we're doing is you know grabbing some files from one folder and facilitating sending them once a month to some email you know recipients there are other cheaper tools that we might refer them to to say hey you don't need to do this custom like there's already off the shelf stuff that you could do 90% of this and have no technical debt do it for way cheaper and you know we don't have to make a mountain out of a molehill and and we use the term a lot secret sauce like if if you have some secret sauce or some secret process that maybe it's not necessarily secret but it's very specific to you and it and it it's you need it automated with custom software then that then it makes sense if you don't and you just need to sell a widget online or or track people in a database like a CRM type tool we push people to buying those tools right those and you know it's hard to price custom software in the same boat as just buying a you know using a salesforce and paying for license right salesforce you know their their price is x a month per user as an example and they they have millions of users potentially they're huge right so they're making that at scale they they built the software once and then they just sell it to all different businesses around the world whereas custom software you invest this big amount up front and we tell people unless you got something that you're really specifically needing to do for your business that just cannot be done with anything else or anything even customized then you know that ROI might be found pretty quickly but if you're willing to bend your company a little bit and just use an off the shelf tool use a a Shopify to sell your widgets or a Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics to whatever the tool might be right just bend right your customer no matter why you've done what you've done to this point change your processes to fit a tool and just use that tool and pay them their fixed fee. Much less expense to you and much less risk to you in the long run. And I think that's the end of the day where we can leave the episode. You know, it's the idea of much less risk to you in the long run largely involves making sure that you're in the hands of somebody who is going to honestly tell you, this is a good idea and this is worth the time of, of going down the rabbit hole of specking this out and getting ready to have it developed or there are tools that are, are already available that are much easier, or as you, you know, made the example, let's just put an outlook reminder of every 30 days and, and make everybody's lives a lot more simple. But I think really being able to get the, uh, the straight truth, uh, that's certainly what you get with Architect now. And I think that um, it's, it's quite a, uh, it's a heck of a slogan to say, um, we talk people out of working with us um, because it, it really instills a lot of confidence in who you, who you are working with that if they've made it that far where you say, yes, we see the value in what you need to solve and we can do it with custom software, they know they're on the right path and they're in good hands. So gentlemen, this was a great episode. I uh, look forward to seeing all of you on the next one and um, we'll see you soon. All right, thank you very much. Thanks, Corey. This podcast is presented to you by Architect Now. Whether launching new cloud or mobile apps or modernizing your legacy platforms, Architect Now can help you identify the best options and work with you to bring those ideas to life. If you like the information in this podcast, we can assure you it is only a fraction of the actionable wisdom and insights you will gain by talking to the team at Architect Now. To learn more and start a conversation, visit us on the web at www.architectnow.net. We'll see you on the next episode of the Newsflash, you're a software company podcast.